Out front next, breaking news, Israel revealing new evidence, a photo of a Hamas tunnel at Gaza's largest hospital. This is CNN obtains video of a family evacuating from northern Gaza, a neighbor shot in the head as he tries to flee with them in a secure zone. Plus more breaking news, exclusive audio of Trump into out front talking about going to the Capitol on January 6th to deal with what he calls, quote, the problem. Why the special counsel may already be seizing on this new sound. And she's known Chinese President Xi Jinping for 40 years since he first came to her home in Iowa. Tonight, she opens up about the man she calls a friend, the man she had dinner with last night. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news. Israel says it has now found evidence of a tunnel underneath Gaza's largest hospital, Al-Shifa. The discovery coming 48 hours, pretty much exactly 48 hours, after forces first entered the compound. Now, according to this video, which it is important to say was both filmed and released by the IDF, you can see what, what they say is an entrance to the tunnel. It appears to be reinforced with concrete. You see pipes, cables, uh, debris outside it. We were able to geolocate this video, and here is exactly where that tunnel shaft is located. As you can see, it is located not far from where people are sheltering, but uh, it is uh, some distance away from where Israel last night released video of those weapons found behind an MRI machine. According to the IDF, uh, the tunnel is near a booby-trapped car, which contained a large amount of ammo and weapons. Now, I want to be clear that CNN can independently verify the images at this point. The Hamas-run government media office in a new statement tonight, for their part, says the health ministry has repeatedly asked for, quote, teams to visit and inspect all hospitals in order to refute the false incitement narrative. They say there aren't tunnels under there. But the IDF claims that this one video is part of what will eventually be proven to be a sprawling multi-level command center for Hamas. In fact, Israeli forces have now been inside that hospital complex for 48 hours hunting for tunnels, as Al-Shifa's facilities director paints a sad, horrible picture of what is taking place inside the hospital with civilians, telling Al Jazeera, quote, we have been forced to amputate the limbs of some of the injured because their wounds have been infected due to a lack of resources. And in an ominous sign, Israel is now dropping leaflets across southern Gaza, calling on civilians there to evacuate. Now, I remember a few weeks ago when those leaflets were being dropped in those early days, we were trying to get them on the ground to find them in northern Gaza. Uh, but south is where people had been told to go. They were told to go there in order to be safe. And tonight we have exclusive new reporting on just how dangerous that journey to southern Gaza even is. Our Jamana Karadja has the story of Ramu Abu Jamas. He says that he, along with his family and neighbors, were given just 30 minutes to evacuate their homes in northern Gaza, a trek along which, uh, along what Israel has repeatedly said is a, quote, safe corridor. So we have designated routes to a safe zone south of Gaza City where there's no uh, fighting. Of course, again, the leaflets are now coming down in the south and those safe routes, uh, as you're about to see, Rami Abu Jamus found his neighbor dead, shot in the head on one. We'll have that story in just a moment. But first, I want to begin with Oren Lieberman, out front live in Tel Aviv for us again tonight. And Oren, Israel, of course, under tremendous pressure to show evidence of what they say is under that hospital, right? That extensive multi-level um, tunnel complex. Uh, is this all the proof right now? 
This is so far what we have seen. The video you showed just a few moments ago released from the Israel Defense Forces a short time ago. What appears to be a tunnel entrance, what they say is an operational tunnel used by Hamas in the Al Shifa complex. We've been able to geolocate that video, as you pointed out, to inside the complex itself. Worth noting, the hospital, the largest in Gaza, is a fairly large facility. Israel was under tremendous pressure to prove the argument and the assertion they had made that Hamas used the hospital above ground to shelter their terror infrastructure below ground. In the first batch of pictures they released of some weapons they say they found in the hospital, they were far short of proving that assertion. This at least shows something underground, but have they proven it definitively? For that, we'll have to be able to go inside and take a look. We, of course, have not been able to do that yet because of where it is and the difficulty of reporting in Gaza. Meanwhile, doctors and health officials at the hospital have repeatedly uh, rejected Israel's accusation that it was used by Hamas, and the Hamas-run ministry there says these are baseless lies. But it is worth noting from at least what we're seeing today, it appears to be much closer than they were yesterday with the first batch of photos to trying to prove an assertion that there is some sort of infrastructure below the hospital. The key question remains, what is it? Now, shortly before they put that video out, they also released a statement about 65-year-old grandmother Yudit Weiss, the second Israeli hostage we know of who was killed in Gaza. The circumstances of her death are unclear right now, Aaron, but the IDF spokesperson says she was murdered by Hamas, found near the Shifa hospital complex in the same place as AK-47s and rocket-propelled grenades. Hmm. Of course, mother of five. Thank you so much, Oren. And out front now, retired Army Major John Spencer. He's an expert on underground warfare and Hamas tunnels. He's chair of urban warfare studies for the Modern War Institute at West Point and the co-author of Understanding Urban Warfare. So, Major, I appreciate your time. Uh, this is your, your area of deep expertise. So I want to show again the video filmed and released by the IDF of what they say is a tunnel shaft inside the Shifa hospital complex, you know, surrounded by uh, loose wires, uh, dirt, it looks like chunks of concrete. What do you see here? I see a, a basically a section of a tunnel shaft for sure. And I actually see a tactic, which is to avoid the biggest threat, which is a tunnel entrance and an exit that they've already lost IDF soldiers. So th this is something that I've been seeing the IDF do when they think there's a tunnel complex not try to find where it leads through the buildings, but find to access it through construction equipment to try to negate that, um, to get the information out like we know they need to as fast as possible. But I definitely see a tunnel. So you're, okay, so you're, you obviously are looking at that. You know what you're looking at, and, and it's a tunnel. Now, the IDF also put out video that they say is a cache of weapons found in a truck at the hospital, and then another video that they say shows Hamas weapons found near an MIR machine, um, MRI machine that they put out uh, last night. Now, Major, Israel has had forces inside the hospital complex for exactly 48 hours. Are you surprised by the extremely limited evidence they provided at this point or not? No, not exactly. As I know how deliberate and methodical they're approaching this and how much danger there is in both civilian casualties, since the main hospital is still occupied by so many patients, that it does take time to enter a complex, secure it, and then start to enter buildings very carefully um, but also their rush to get information out. So I'm, I understand. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm also not surprised because we all want to see um, it is evidence that Hamas was using the complex. But I also understand as a military person who's done this type of operation, how careful it has to go. So 
Israel has put out an animation of a network of tunnels underneath the hospital. It shows various rooms, and, and if you look at it, what looks like two levels. Now, everyone's saying, why, why am I not showing it? We're not showing it because we can't confirm it. We haven't seen it for ourselves. And unlike a video the IDF may produce, we can't even geolocate it. But they're putting it out, and it's really detailed. It's got conference rooms and flags hanging and chairs. And I mean, the level of detail is, is incredible. The question for you, Major, is if Israel isn't even in the tunnels yet— how can they have created an animation like this? I mean, my best, um, I believe it's because they, they have human intelligence over years of what other people, whether it's uh, informants, prisoners, uh, prisoners of war, that explain the detail of what's under there. And then it's a rendering of that human intelligence, if not signals intelligence, people talking about it. Um, I th it seems to be an intelligence driven, kind of like a, you know, a, a uh, a criminal in rendering of what is believed by reports to be under the complex. All right. Well, Major, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for civilians in Gaza, the struggle to find a safe place continues. One family made a horrific journey from their home in northern Gaza. Uh, they were going to the south, right, where you're supposed to be safe. Although, again, I said those leaflets are coming down now, warning of, uh, that that will, may change. Uh, but they filmed their entire journey. And I want to warn you that some of the images that you will see in this report are graphic. Jamana Karaja is out front. Gaza City. Two-year-old Walid, distracted through his family's most difficult night of the war so far. With daybreak, the Israeli military calls with an order. You have 30 minutes to get out. It was 9.30 a.m. on November the 10th. With makeshift white flags, they say the military told them to hold up. They prepare to move. With the little they can carry, they head out and into the unknown. Some too frail to walk. <laughs> Journalist Rami Abu Jamus is filming the forced evacuation of his family, along with more than 30 of their neighbors. His phone in his right hand, and in the other, his son Walid. <laughs> he speaks French with his son, looking for his wife ahead. <laughs> while waiting for other elderly neighbors struggling to catch up. <laughs> That constant buzz you hear is Israeli drones overhead. It's been the soundtrack of Gaza for years. As they get to the other side of the street, Rami spots his neighbor, Abu Ahmed. Something's not right. Ahmed, 
يا با يا دكتور والله يا با لا لا والله احمد احمد تتنفس يا با اه بتنفس بتنفس اه هات نحمل هات نحمل هات 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 عشان معي وليد يلا اه احمله 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 قول يا رب قول يا رب ايوه 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 لسه عايش لسه في نفس Ahmed was shot in the head. He didn't make it. And around the corner, two others, a man and a woman, also shot. It's uncertain who opened fire on the group. CNN geolocated these videos and traced this deadly journey out of central Gaza City. We provided the Israeli military with details of this incident and these coordinates, but they did not respond to our request for comment. Hello? Hello, Rami. We reached Rami, now in the south. Like most here, they were on their own. They got to Shifa hospital, but so did the war. Witness to it all, two-year-old Walid. I kept trying to make sure he's not scared and make him feel like what he's seeing around us is a circus or an amusement park. I don't know if I succeeded. Even the journey of humiliation where you take a donkey here and a horse there, I was trying to make that entertaining for him. I asked Rami why he decided to film. I just want this to get to the world so they know the injustice that we're facing. They cast doubt on everything we do. They're stronger in every way. Not just militarily, but with the information that comes out, the narrative that comes out, the news that comes out. What they say is the truth, and our words are lies. Please, just deliver our message. I don't want anything else. I don't want all those who have been killed to have died in vain. Rami doesn't know what they'll do now, but says he will only leave his homeland forced at gunpoint or dead. Aaron, Israel says it calls on people to leave areas where there are military operations to try and minimize civilian casualties. But as you know, the U.N. says nowhere in Gaza is safe. And there is criticism worldwide of the number of deaths in Gaza that has grown to over 11,400 people, of them 4,700 children. That's according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health that draws these figures from sources in the Hamas-controlled enclave. And Aaron, this is a story of one family out of so many who are going through so much, but we don't have access to them to tell their stories. And this family, family happened to film their harrowing journey out of the north. Jamana, thank you very much. Hard to watch, but important we all saw it. Thank you. And next, the breaking news. We have exclusive audio of Donald Trump talking about wanting to go to the Capitol on January 6th, saying that he wanted to go. He wanted to go at one point to stop what he called the, quote, problem. More of what he told veteran political anchor Jonathan Carl. He's next. Also, Beijing tonight blasting President Biden after Biden called the Chinese President Xi Jinping a dictator. Even the Secretary of State visibly cringing over the term. We're also following breaking news in the Hunter Biden investigation. Tonight, President Biden's brother, we've learned, has been subpoenaed. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. 
Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Tonight, exclusive new audio into Outfront of former President Donald Trump saying that he would have been, quote, very well received by the people rioting at the Capitol on January 6th. Take a listen to this. But if you look at the real size of that crowd, it was never reported correctly. There were, it's the biggest crowd I've ever spoken in front of by far. Really? By far. That went down to the Washington, that went back to the Washington Monument. Um, you told them you were going to go up to the Capitol. Were you just... I was, no, I was going to, and the Secret Service said, you can't. And then by the time... I would have. And then when I got back, I saw... I wanted to go back. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself. Secret Service didn't like that idea too much. So, so what... And I could so, have done that. And you know what? I would have been very well received. Don't forget, the people that went to Washington that day in my opinion, they went because they thought the election was rigged. That's why they went. All right. That audio comes from an interview that Trump gave to ABC News chief Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl, who you heard there asking the questions. He gave that interview to Jonathan Carl just over two months after the insurrection. Outfront legal analysts say that what you just heard in that exchange is highly valuable evidence for the prosecution. Our Ryan Goodman predicts that this audio will likely be part of the trial. So we have much more on the legal impact of this exclusive audio. But first, Jonathan Carl is out front. He is the author of the new book, Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. So, Jonathan, you're sharing this exchange with us, and you write in this book that this was an astounding admission. Those are your words by Trump. I mean, he's saying he wanted to go, uh, which is, right, this is the whole back and forth, right, over the grabbing the steering wheel incident uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson, but that he wanted to go and that he believed he had control over the crowd. That he was going to be well-received by the people that were attacking the Capitol building, the people that were assaulting police officers, uh, trying to get in to stop that certification of the election, that they would be that they would receive him well. So I, this this was an interview I did as part of a long interview uh, for my book Betrayal. And at the time, that exchange because there was so much in that interview didn't quite hit me. First of all, I didn't believe him when he said, oh, I wanted to go. I mean, I never really thought he wanted to go. But then I heard Cassidy Hutchinson testified before the January 6th committee, the whole thing about, you know, how Trump was Did berating. Did he lunge for the know, wheel? And yeah, all that, yeah. Or whatever he was doing, pressuring his Secret Service agents, mm-hmm. and them adamantly refusing, clearly well documented. So I went back and, and, and I, I, you know, I mean, this is, 
This is an admission that those were absolutely his people, first of all, but also that he had control over those people. And remember, he didn't go up there and he also didn't do anything to try to get them to stop. Right, and, and we all know there were other times when he, he would try to say that, oh, they weren't his people, yep. right? Remember in the, in the infamous call oh, with yeah. then speak with, with Kevin McCarthy uh, saying, these are your people. Um, okay, so that audio obviously could now be evidence. Right, it could be evidence in the federal investigation of Trump's efforts to overturn the election. You, you heard uh, people think that it will be. You write um, that Trump was, quote, despondent, scared, and seething with rage about another case, the hush money case, uh, into him here in New York. And since then, two indictments, Justice Department in Georgia, found liable for fraud in a civil trial. Uh, you have the entire situation going on in New York, right, with that, with that civil trial as well playing out. Does he realize... John, that he's at real risk of going to jail? I, I think that he has come to see that there is absolutely no difference between his presidential campaign and his legal defense. They have merged into one. Hmm. There are two potential paths for Donald Trump, I think, in his mind. He can win back the presidency and do whatever he can to call it all off. Obviously, there's so much he can, there's, I mean, it's debatable how much he can do on that front. Right. Or he faces the very real possibility of going to prison. He uses apocalyptic terms to describe this campaign. And it's not so much the impact on the country, it's the impact on him. Mm -hmm. He calls 2024 the final battle. And I think that's, for him, he really feels it's the final battle. You know, he wins, he's triumphant, or it's devastating. And of course, I'm sure he's well aware, right, that that also for some would hearken to fields of Armageddon. And and, I mean, you know, I mean, that's exactly what he's doing. Um, You write about him. Uh, that there is now nobody even trying. There were times, right? Remember that infamous op-ed in the New York Times, right? Times when people would say they tried to rein him in. Uh, You're saying no one's doing that now. And you write, Trump is more detached from reality than ever and more willing to trash the norms and customs that our system of government needs to survive as a working democracy. Covered him for many years. I I wrote this for, for two primary reasons. One is that I think memories have started to fade about what it was like especially at the end of the Trump presidency. And there's been this effort to try to whitewash it or rewrite that history. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the second is that people don't realize what has happened to Trump since he left the White House. And I do believe uh, that in some sense, he has gotten more detached from reality, more willing to trash the customs uh, of American democracy uh, to, to win, to prevail at all costs. But he did have people around him in that White House who tried to protect him from his own self-destructive influences uh, and tendencies, and to protect the country from those tendencies. Those people are all entirely gone. He will have a team devoted to him. The most important qualification right now to be uh, in a potential Trump administration will be loyalty. And right now, they're from, they're, I mean, this, this is the smallest presidential campaign we've seen of a frontrunner ever, including significantly smaller than what he had in 2016. I mean, it's pretty stunning when you say this. And when you say frontrunner, he's a frontrunner. He's absolutely I mean, the it's, front it's, it's, it's front runner, and then there's, you know, kind of in the distant, um, the distance, DeSantis maybe. Um, the latest poll we have of uh, New Hampshire yeah. shows Nikki Haley surging. I mean, yep. up to 20%. Now, that's half of where he is, but it's 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 surge for her, huge mm-hmm. surge. Does he see her as a real threat now? Does he see anyone as a true threat? Um, I, I, I think that he thinks that he's got it essentially made. Uh, but... I think he will look at that, clo- that poll very closely. A real strong anti-Trump candidate like Christie could have a chance. I do not think that this primary is over. He is absolutely the front runner. People yeah. treat him like the presumptive nominee, but I don't think it's actually over. All right. 
Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate you being here with us. Thanks. Thank you for having me. All right, and out front now, Karen Friedman-Agnifilo, the former chief assistant DA at the Manhattan DA's office. She worked with special counsel Jack Smith. So, Karen, you just heard the exclusive audio, right, the conversation that Jonathan Carl had with Trump. And in it, Trump talks about wanting to go to the Capitol on January 6th, saying that the people there would have listened to him, referring to what was happening there as a problem. Why do you think this is very significant? It's extremely significant because, first of all, it completely corroborates what Cassidy Hutchinson was saying when she testified before the January 6th committee. If you recall, after her testimony, there were many people, including they were saying people from the Secret Service, denying that that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol and tried to go to the Capitol and that they stopped him. So this corroborates Cassidy Hutchinson and really helps bolster and make her a credible witness to testify at the trial. The other thing I think it shows is is he really talks about going twice, right? He said, first, I wanted to go with the crowd, and he knew the crowd was there to stop Mike Pence from certifying the election. So it goes to the intent that he had that same intent, that he wanted to make it so Pence wouldn't certify the election. But he also said afterwards, I thought about, I wanted to go to stop the problem, as he called it, which is interesting because he could have stopped the problem. He knows he could have, and he didn't for what? three hours, right? He sat there. So that part of it, I think, lacks credibility. Uh, He absolutely had no intention of trying to stop that problem. Right, right. I mean, it's whether he was trying to act like he was trying to stop it or or also admitting uh, that he knew early on that it was a serious problem as opposed to, oh, nothing's really happening here. Um, uh, You know, it is fascinating just to see it. And in a conversation with someone like Jonathan Carl, who, you know, he's known for a long time, and he was in this extended conversation. So, you know, there is a sense of he he really opened up to him. So when, when you look at the, the new information as you see it here, Karen, how does this add to Jack Smith's case against Trump to get something like this now? Well, he's going to be analyzing all of the statements that Trump has made publicly about the events of January 6th, right? And and really analyze them against each other and see which ones, because he, he will have said on the one hand, no, I didn't think anything was going to happen. No, I wasn't part of this crowd. And then later he's saying, I was part of it. So Jack Smith is, first of all, going to be very interested in obtaining copies of these statements, but not just the short snippets that you have, the longer interview. He's going to want to see all of it. He's going to want to listen to all of it and try to analyze it against all of Trump's other statements. He may decide to want to put those in as inconsistencies, or he might want to wait and not put them in and make Donald Trump take the stand and then use them to cross-examine him, because we'll see if Trump does testify. Right. Uh, That would be absolutely fascinating. And of course, as I said, uh, for sure, if he wants those tapes, um, it is a very long conversation and one of many uh, that Jonathan Carl had with him. All right. Thanks very much, Karen. Thank you. And next, I'm going to speak to this woman from Iowa who has known the Chinese president Xi Jinping for nearly 40 years. She had a one-on-one conversation with him last night in California, and she'll be out front next. And more breaking news, the special counsel investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings heating up with the president's brother now subpoenaed. Tonight, blowback from Beijing. China's government lashing out after President Biden called Chinese President Xi Jinping a dictator after what was, by all accounts, a positive and extended meeting. Here's the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman today. This kind of speech is extremely wrong and is irresponsible political manipulation. 
Will Ripley is out front. In San Francisco, a carefully choreographed reset of the rocky U.S.-China relationship. U.S. President Joe Biden, Chinese President Xi Jinping, a meeting months in the making, four hours of talks, meticulously planned photo ops, all seemingly going according to plan until President Biden seemed to go off script. Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country based on a form of government totally different than ours. Biden's off-the-cuff answer to a question from White House correspondent M.J. Lee drawing a cringe-worthy reaction from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and a swift, sharp response from China's foreign ministry. This is extremely erroneous. It is an irresponsible political maneuver which China firmly opposes. Beijing had a similar reply back in June when Biden called his Chinese counterpart a dictator at a California fundraiser. On the streets of Beijing, this man seems to agree with Biden's description. One party system, to be honest and open, that is a dictatorship. Something he says keeps China stable, putting a positive spin on Biden's definition of the word. Beijing's communist rulers have long argued stability makes their system superior to Western democracies. They never, ever use the word dictator. Neither does Chinese state media. Ignoring Biden's controversial comment, even as it made headlines around the world, instead focusing on President Xi's personal diplomacy with the U.S. president, like the moment they compared armored limousines. It's like that Cadillac we have over there. They call it the beast. On China's heavily censored social media, not a single mention of the outrage over Biden using the D word for the second time in six months. The Chinese government takes that word very personally blasting Germany's foreign minister for similar comments in September. What sign would that be for other dictators in the world, like Xi? He wouldn't be the first to fend off that label. Listen to this exchange on 60 Minutes between Mike Wallace and Xi's predecessor, Zhang Zemin. You are the last major communist dictatorship in the world. You mean I am dictatorship? Am I wrong? Of course. This is big mistake. As for President Xi, the communist leader who eliminated term limits, and some say his rivals, paving the way for a lifetime in power, we don't know how he feels about Biden's remark. Unlike the U.S. president, Xi never has to answer unscripted questions. His diplomats spent months controlling every detail from the venue to the food to the flowers at this meeting with President Biden. So it's certainly no surprise that right now they're cutting off our signal inside China. This is a live picture from Beijing. They certainly don't want the Chinese people to know about the dictator comment. They don't want to see our coverage of this right now. Aaron, this has happened before. It happens quite a lot on this program. Uh, one barometer, perhaps, of how this actually went might be whether President Xi follows through on a comment he made yesterday when he said that the resumption of panda diplomacy is on the table. You know, China hasn't granted any new panda loans to the U.S. for some 20 years. That might be changing. We'll see if it's still in uh, the offer still in place after that uh, remark by the president. We certainly will. And of course, that response by the secretary of state, Antony Blinken, um, 
Well, it was the look that said a thousand words. All right. Well, Ripley, thank you very much. And I want to go now to Sarah Landy. She has had an unexpected quarter century long friendship with the Chinese president, Xi Jinping. They first met in 1985. Uh, There they are. Landy was hosting a dinner at her home in Iowa, and she had a green bean casserole with Xi Jinping. Now, she at the time was 31 years old. He was a rising political star in the Communist Party, and he went to Iowa to see how Americans farmed. Landy was the head of a volunteer organization called Sister States, which had been just founded that year to connect Iowans to the rest of the world. And after that meeting, Landy made several trips to China over the years. She came back to visit Landy again. That was in 2012. We got a picture of them together right after he became president of China. And they were together again last night and uh, had a private meeting. So Sarah Landy joins me now. And Sarah, I mean, I think it is incredible for anyone watching and you try to to look at uh, someone of such consequence in the world uh, with so much power that that you would know someone like this over so many years so well, 40 years nearly, you have known him. How do you square words like dictator with the man that you have come to know through your lifetime? Well, one thing is, I think it's, too bad that one word throws people off. You know, I think, uh, you know, in China, there is one person that makes most of the decisions. It's Xi Jinping. I don't know that I'd call him a dictator, but he definitely is in charge. That's how they keep order there. But I think many other things we should focus on besides somebody calling a dictator. I don't know. How do you define a dictator? Uh, he believes he needs to keep control over lots of his people uh, in order to keep the peace and security and bring them up as equal. It's not the way we believe in the United States. I don't know what you call it, but you wouldn't call it free reign democracy because he does not believe that's the best for his country. So other than squibbling over the name dictator, Let's look at what they did talk about. Let's talk about what they did decide. Maybe to have more airlines going back and forth. Maybe more people-to-people exchanges. Having teams look into fentanyl and all the other things they're going. So uh, I think there are lots of other ways we should look into this conversation rather than being mad that somebody's called someone a dictator. Calling names doesn't work, but... Yes. It doesn't tell the story. So you had dinner with him last night, and you sat at his VIP table just a few seats away from him. You had a chance to talk to him 101. Can you tell us about it, Sarah? Well, when I had a chance to talk him one-to-one, the old friends from Muscatine and uh, special friends around the country got to meet with him ahead of time in a small group of about 30 or 40. Then each of us got to go up and shake his hand and uh, give him greetings or ask him questions. So at that time, that was a real one-to-one. At the dinner, I was at the head table, but there might be 30 people at the head table, so I didn't exactly get to talk with him there. But he made a wonderful, he made a very articulate talk on what he sees the way China could operate in a best fashion with the United States. Lots of the things are what we would believe in, you know, working together when we can, working together to solve the big challenges of the world, encouraging more exchange, encouraging each of our countries to be strong in their own way. So I think 
just to spend uh, quibbling about the name dictator is a waste of time. So, you know, you, I mentioned that you've known him since Let's 19- look at behind yeah. 1985, you have a green bean casserole together. I mean, just to give the sense of you knew him personally, <laughs> you knew him, and, and you shared some, some important moments that clearly seem to have mattered for him because he does have a real fondness for Iowa. You're talking about when you did have a chance to talk to him one-on-one last night. It was uh, at, at a group of just, uh, what you said, 30 or 40 people who knew him many, many from that time. Yes. He, uh, he uh, told the Muscatine uh, Journal uh, at one point, you were the first group of Americans I came into contact with. To me... You are America. This is the first group of Americans that he came That's into contact what he said with. To that us. were, that, and, and, and you were among that group. So, how important do you think that moment that Iowa, that you, this time in his life, has for him? I think it was. I really think it was something. You know, it was his first time out of the out of China, first visit to the United States. And they'd been eager to learn how to feed their people. And they'd been just eager to see what an open com- country was, you know, what the farmland was. I believe he stopped at San Francisco that time, too. And uh, how we lived our home, you know, he, at that time, we did not have money to house them. So they stayed in a home and just in somebody's bedroom. And for the green bean casserole, it came as part of a potluck supper. That's how we did it, because we didn't have money to take them out to dinner. So they got every of the volunteers each brought their favorite dish, and they thought this was really strange. Well, unique, because they always had the banquet with all these dishes around, you know, and they couldn't, first they thought there wouldn't be enough food for them, because there are all these little dishes of casseroles around, but, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, they were happy. He was curious and he was eager to see the Mississippi. My hometown is on the Mississippi. And he had a smile when he walked in the door. And every time we've seen him, he has a warm smile and he was happy. And if you had seen him last night at the dinner, by the time he met with these groups ahead, he met with the old friends, but then he met with some CEOs too. You would have thought he was thinking, oh, my goodness sakes, I want to get out of here. He was looking good, not tired. It's sort of like he was set to give this address about how he wanted his country to work with America. And the CEOs were at the table. His friends were out there. The room was jam-packed. And Mm -hmm. he had that smile relaxed on his face. All right. Well, Sarah, thank you very much. So. for sharing your story and your thoughts with us. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And next, the breaking news, the investigation to Hunter Biden expanding tonight. The special counsel now using a grand jury in California. Could more charges be coming? And a news sign tonight that embattled Congressman George Santos could be expelled from Congress. Breaking news, CNN learning President Biden's brother has been subpoenaed. This is part of the criminal investigation into the business dealings of the president's son, Hunter Biden. Sources tell CNN that the special counsel is seeking documents and testimony from multiple witnesses and that he's now using a grand jury in California, not just in Delaware, suggesting that new charges could be coming for Hunter Biden in a second state. So Evan Perez is out front uh, breaking some of this. And Evan, what more can you tell us about why the president's brother, President Biden's brother, was subpoenaed. 
Well, James Biden, the, the uncle of Hunter Biden, uh, was a one-time business partner of Hunter Biden's. And so that's one reason why uh, prosecutors would be interested to, to, to get at least some information, uh, some, perhaps some documents, and perhaps some testimony from him uh, for what he knows about his financial uh, dealings at that time. Now, what we know is that this is an investigation that has been looking at his business dealings mostly at his tax, uh, at his failure to file tax, uh, his tax uh, taxes back in two 2017, 2018, uh, and what, when he didn't file them and he didn't pay, pay them on time, uh, Aaron. And so we know that this is uh, now uh, the grand jury in Los Angeles is trying to get documents and possible testimony from a number of witnesses, and, and uh, James Biden is just one of them. Uh, yeah. This is an indication that the, the special counsel, David Weiss, is likely uh, soon going to have to decide whether he's going to bring charges in this case. So why, though, Evan, is the special counsel now using a grand jury in California uh, after bringing gun charges almost five months ago in Delaware? Well, uh, allegedly, the, 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 the tax offenses that are being investigated, Aaron, uh, th this is where they occurred. This is where Hunter Biden lives mm -hmm. in Southern California. And so the mm -hmm. Central District of California in Los Angeles is where they would have to bring those charges. Now, this is an investigation that's been going on for more than five years now at this point. And for a time, Hunter Biden's attorneys had agreed for this all to be consolidated in Delaware. Of course, that plea agreement, that plea deal that they had struck with prosecutors fell apart uh, pretty spectacularly back in June. And so now we know from prosecutors that after bringing those charges in, uh, in Delaware on the gun charge, on the gun charges, uh, they are now pursuing or looking to bring possible tax charges and perhaps other things in this case in Los Angeles now, Aaron. All right, Evan, thank you very much. And also tonight, a disconnect. President Biden admitting that Americans are not feeling the positive effects of an economy that is improving on paper. I acknowledge there's a disconnect between the numbers and how people feel about their place in the world right now. We can deal with the second part. Well, Harry Anton joins me now to go beyond the numbers. So, Harry, uh, the president acknowledges uh, that people are still not feeling good about the state of the economy. Uh, and he's right. There are many reasons for that. There are many reasons for that. I mean, you know, you talk about all these economic statistics that are so good, and that's what President Biden's talking about. But let's just talk about disposable income for a second here, right? How much money folks have to spend on things. That's down this quarter from last quarter. It's down considerably from what it was during the first year of the Biden administration. Wow, 3.4%. Down That's three. It's down a lot, right? And historically speaking, if you go back, you know, since the 1960s, you would in fact see that on average, obviously incomes would be up closer to 4%. So there is this disconnect, but I don't think there's this disconnect between Americans and what's actually going on. I think there might be this disconnect between what President Biden thinks is going on and what is actually going on. Right, what, how people truly feel, right? Yeah. Because inflation is its part of life. You can't strip it out of any kind of an income number. I mean, we've been seeing headlines, though, um, now like this one, uh, turkey prices have dropped, um, right? Uh, Thanksgiving dinner prices falling from a record high. Uh, more peas, please. No. Um, actually, I love peas. But 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 uh, the Axios one, I think, actually, uh, Thanksgiving dinner prices falling from record high. Yeah. Uh, yes, they're falling. But they're falling from an incredibly high point. Right. I mean, it's like you're all the way up here and now you're just slightly less up there. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and, and that's part of what's going on here. Right. As you're comparing it to just a year ago, why not compare it to three or four years ago? But there are also things that Americans have at this particular point that they're having to pay for where, in fact, they're not seeing drops. Why don't we just talk about living? Right. 
Talk about rents. Rents are way up from where we were a year ago. How about mortgage rates? They're way, way up from where they were a year ago, and they're far higher than they, you usually see the yearly changes on average. Mortgage rates up 11% from where we were a year ago. The average is just being up 1%. So Americans are seeing what's going on. They're comparing it to what the average is going on. And right. yeah, there's some metrics that are good, but there are plenty of metrics that are not so good, and those are the ones that Americans seem to be concentrating on. Right, and at this point, without deflation, which of course would in entail a horrible economy, um, you know, prices aren't going down. They're just not rising by as much, right? And that's a really tough thing. People still feel that increase. Um, however, the, the Biden administration, President Biden, has been trying to tout that improvement, right? Okay, inflation rates are still, uh, they're going up, but they're not going up by as much. It's taming. And they've been calling this Bidenomics, that things are getting better since June, He's been saying this. It's called Bidenomics for the plan that's working. It's not an accident. It's my economic plan in action. It's Bidenomics. That's the American dream. That's Bidenomics. All right. You went and found, when he first started using the term, mm -hmm. started looking at uh, numbers, approval, uh, since he started using the phrase, is it working? No, it ain't working. I mean, you know, since he was using in June back then, his economic approval rating, according to Quinnipiac University, was a little bit north of 40 percent. It's now in the 30s. Uh, this is, you know, 37 percent approval of Biden's job on the economy. So his messaging isn't working. And the reason his messaging isn't working is because people aren't listening to what the president's saying. They're looking at what's in their own pockets and they feel the economy isn't doing so swell. All right, Harry, thank you very much. I do think it's fascinating to look at when that word was used and what's happened. I mean, those things matter. Slogans catch on. Do they work or not? It ain't right. working. Thank you very much, Harry. And next, a House ethics report finds evidence that George Santos broke the law a lot, stealing money to pay for lavish trips and Botox. Is he about to get expelled? Tonight, hanging on by a thread, the embattled Republican Congressman George Santos on the verge of being expelled from the House after a scathing new ethics report. A report that says Santos spent campaign money on Botox, spa treatments, and OnlyFans, which is a site commonly used for pornography. In order to be expelled, 50 Republicans need to join Democrats in ousting the New York congressman. As of tonight, 10 of them are indicating they will do so. They will vote to expel him after Thanksgiving. If that happens, Santos would be the only member in U.S. history to be expelled who hasn't been convicted in a court yet or who was not fighting for the Confederacy. Now, as I mentioned, the House Ethics Committee claims to have found substantial evidence, their word, of wrongdoing by Santos for using campaign funds for his own personal use. Santos responded by blasting the report, announcing he won't pursue re-election anymore, so there's that. But I spoke recently to Congressman Santos, and I asked him about one of these things, a disturbing allegation by a U.S. Navy veteran who told me Santos stole money that had been meant for life-saving surgery for his dog. Congressman, did, are you saying you never spoke to him either? I've no, I, look, this is even news to me now. This is breaking news for me. I, I don't even know this man's name or who he is. I've never spoken to him. FBI agents are investigating Santos's role in the alleged GoFundMe account that was meant for that veteran's service dog. Thanks so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.